Titus chapter 2 on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're just going to read a few verses. I've asked uh, Joey Siciliano if he will come and uh, light our Advent candles this morning. So, brother, why don't you do that? There's a lighter right there. Thank you, brother. And let us look at Titus chapter 2. And let's just read a few verses, starting at verse number 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Our text for this morning is verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Pray with me. Father God, we're so thankful for the opportunity now to turn to your word. Thank you, Lord, for the good music we've enjoyed this morning. Thank you that we could sing these carols. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship we've enjoyed with your, with your people, with our brothers and sisters. But now, Lord, I pray, uh, fill me with your spirit. Help us, Father, to, uh, to have open hearts and open minds, uh, to listen to what you have for us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us. Uh, help us understand the purpose of all these things. We've been talking about it for weeks. May we now understand the purpose of what it's all about. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Advent season, Brother Phil and I have uh, looked at several different topics, and we chose to kind of split things up this year. And so we've been alternating, uh, and uh, Phil came up with the outline, which I liked because it was alliterated. I love alliterated outlines. But the first week, he talked about the promise of Advent, and you may remember uh, that particular message. And then I spoke the following week on the prophecies of Advent, and then last week he spoke to us about the people of Advent. Well, today, uh, if the second Advent does not interrupt us, and we of course hope it does, but if not, I want to speak to you on the purpose of Advent. And if you join with us on uh, Christmas Eve, and I hope you will, if you join with us on Christmas Eve for that short message, and oh, by the way, I forgot to mention to you that there's a free gift for everybody who comes on Christmas Eve. You don't want to miss your Christmas gift. But if you join us then, you'll, you'll hear about the peace of Advent. So the promise, the prophecies, the people, the purpose, and the peace of Advent. Well, this morning, let's talk about the purpose of Advent. What is the purpose of all of this? Why all these promises? Why the prophecies? Why the people so perfectly lined up and in place, as Brother Phil mentioned last week? What is the purpose of it all? Or more specifically, really what we're talking about is what was the purpose of that first Advent that we remember every year at this time of year, that Christmas, that first time? Well, our text here in in Titus chapter 2 is one place we can go, I think, to get an answer to that question. And if you look at this particular thing, I think you'll see that there are at least three things that you could pull out of there that describe the purpose of Advent. You you could probably find more because this is a rich passage right here. But I want to spend some time on three of them. I'm going to actually spend the majority of my time on the first one. And the second two we'll we'll mention just briefly. But uh, here are the three. The first first purpose of of Advent, or the purpose of the first Advent, was number one, to redeem us. To redeem us. Number two, it was to enable us. And number three, it was to encourage us. Let's notice those three things this morning. First of all, the first advent was to redeem us. To redeem us. There are three different places in our text which kind of yield that thought. If you look at verse number 11, it says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Salvation, there is that word. 
the purpose of the first advent was to redeem us, I'm saying, but that's included in that word salvation, is it not? We also see it in the word Savior in verse number 13 when he's referred to as our great God and Savior. And so we see it there. But primarily we see it plainly stated in that phrase in verse number 14 that he might redeem us. What is the purpose of the advent? Why did Jesus come? What was the purpose of it? It was that he might redeem us. As I was sitting in my study preparing for this message, I had my stereo playing and I was listening to uh, some, some Christmas music and uh, the song Mary Did You Know came on there. And I, I heard the line, I've heard it a gazillion times, but I heard the line, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? That this child that you delivered would soon deliver you. And I thought, what an amazing thought. What an astonishing thought. I wonder what must have gone through Mary's mind as she gazed into the eyes of that baby. It looked just like any other baby. That was just as helpless looking as any other baby. That little baby that was wrapped in cloths and just like any other And to think he was the deliverer. He was the savior. He was the redeemer. How could she get her mind around that? We ought to cut her some slack, I suppose, because we can't get our mind around it. And we've had 2,000 years of Christmas sermons between then and now, and we still can't get our mind around it, can we? It's an astonishing thought. That birth, that baby, that first advent was to save us. It was to redeem us. It was to redeem me. And it was to redeem you. You know, I find it a valuable exercise sometimes to personalize Scripture. In other words, put my name in there. This is a good place to do that. Verse number 14, who gave himself for Bill Johnson, that he might redeem Bill Johnson. Do that. Put your name in there. Personalize it and see how powerful it becomes. Feel the impact of it. That was the purpose of the first advent, to redeem us. And oh, what a wonderful word is redeem. Have you given any thought to that word, redeem? It comes from a Greek word. Lutrao, which is found several times in the New Testament, but outside of the New Testament in Greek literature, it's only found about ten other times anywhere that they've ever been able to find Lutrao. It's a comparatively rare word, and, and maybe that indicates what an amazing concept it conveys, a concept that is kind of, you know, specific to Christianity, something that nobody else really understands. You know what it means? Here's what it means. It means to free someone by paying a ransom price. That's Lutrao. To free someone by paying a ransom price. Now think about that. The first advent when Jesus came was to free someone by paying a ransom price. That was his purpose. And really, let's personalize it. It was to free us by paying our ransom price. What a thought. What a word. It's a bigger word than rescue. Rescue is a great word. Jesus came to rescue us. That's a bigger word than that. It's a... Different word, maybe a bigger word than save. Jesus came to save us. But I think this is a bigger word. And the reason I think that is because those other things, while they're true, they could have been done at no cost. There's nothing in the word save that requires a cost. There's nothing in the word rescue that requires a cost. You know, one of my favorite stories in the the New Testament, and I, I, I fear I probably use it too often as an illustration. Those of you who went through our homiletics class probably know you ought not to keep using the same illustrations over and over. But I like this particular one. It's a great story. And I don't know of anything in the Bible that paints a better picture of what salvation is than this. It's the story of when Peter walked on the water. You remember that story? 
The disciples were out on the water on the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm came up, and they were being tossed about, and Jesus wasn't with them. He had stayed back. And as they are being tossed about on this terrible storm at sea, all of a sudden they see Jesus walking across the water toward them. And here they are huddled in the boat with, with water splashing in their face, and the waves clear up above the bows of the boat. And they see this person coming, and they think it's a ghost, and they cry out in fear. And he says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter said something, which I just think is one of the strangest things that's in the Bible. Peter said... If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I've never quite understood what, what that was about, why he said that. And Jesus looked at him and said, okay, come. And then Peter walked on the water. We don't talk about that very often, but he did. He walked on the water. But Peter was like me, and he was like you. He was frail, and he was afraid, and he was wavering in his faith and he took about two steps and started to look around and the waves were up over his head and the water was hitting him in the face and his faith began to waver and down he went but as he went down as he went down he said he just said one sentence he said lord save me and i can picture this in my mind that he was going down just as fast as any of us would go down sometimes i think we think he's just gonna like a cartoon just sunk down no i think bam he was going down and as he went down he just had time to stick up his hand and say lord save me and the bible says immediately jesus reached forth his hand and saved him i think that's the greatest picture of salvation there is anywhere in scripture you ask for it he, he gives it to you immediately no way but think about the picture what that cost jesus didn't cost him anything all he had to do is reach out his hand and save him see the word saved doesn't re- doesn't imply cost The word rescue doesn't imply cost, but that word redemption, that requires payment of a price. It requires cost. And at that first advent, when that little baby was born in Bethlehem, it had as its ultimate purpose our redemption, the paying of the ransom that was owing for our sin. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A little quote from a song that I quote to you often, but it says it so well. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid the debt he did not owe. He paid the ransom. And all the ransom price wasn't trivial, was it? It cost our Savior. It cost him dearly. Peter said it like this. He said, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. When Jesus set out to redeem you, he didn't pull out a piece of card. He didn't pull out a bag of gold. He didn't write a check. It wasn't anything that simple. No, he said, it was with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and with spot, without spot. Thank God that when that baby was born on that first advent, it was to pay the price for our sin, to pay the ransom that was owed to redeem us. It's a great word. It's a great word. Paul said to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in two time. Luke chapter 1 and verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. What's the purpose of Advent? That's it. He came to redeem. He came to redeem. Now some might be sitting here this morning and you might be saying, you know, I don't quite get my mind around that. I don't know anything. Some might be saying, I've lived a pretty, pretty good life. I don't, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with me. Some might be saying, I've, I've gone to church all my life. My parents take me to church all the time. I think I'm okay. No ransom owing for me. 
And the fact is, you know, if you compare yourself to other people you know and read about, you can easily think you stack up okay, because, you know, we can read the news and we can see some pretty stinking evil people. Can we not? If we compared ourselves to that, we might easily think we're perfectly fine. But you know, the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says, makes it plain that you're broken and you need fixing. That you're sick and you need healing. The Bible goes so far as to say that you're dead apart from Christ. Need revival. (coughs) That you're lost and need saving. Charles Spurgeon in a wonderful book I've been reading called The Soul Winner. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, all souls of men are lost by nature. You might walk through the streets of London. And of course that's where he was. And say with sighs and tears of the masses of men you meet upon those crowded pavements, lost, lost, lost. Wherever Christ is not trusted and the Spirit has not created a new heart and the soul has not come to the Great Father, there is a lost soul. Is that you? Are you yet lost? Are you yet dead in your sins? Are you yet wandering about with no hope for the future either in this life or the next? Is your ransom? Yet, unpaid. Because Jesus came to pay. That was the purpose. And he did pay it. We talked about the cross when we observed the Lord's table this morning. He did pay it on the cross. And because of that, no further payment is required. He redeemed. He paid the ransom. Just before he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost on the cross, Jesus uttered three of the most beautiful words that have ever been spoken. I have. It's not just me saying that. I have read that several places. That that little phrase Jesus uttered from the cross is considered by many to be one of the most beautiful ever spoken. When his blood-covered lips parted, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Regular attenders here know uh, that that particular phrase translates a wonderful Greek word. That Greek word is the word tetelestai. Tetelestai literally means paid in full. Paid in full. Your ransom. Is paid. Let me read you something I read about to tell us. Let me just share this quote. This one, this one commentator, he says this: "The papyri throw great light on this word to tell us that. If a promissory note were paid, the one holding the note wrote to tell us across it, paid in full. A deed to property was not in effect until it was dated and signed. And when this done, and when this was done, the clerk wrote to tell us across it, paid in full." Another example of its use was when a father sent his son on a mission. The son was not to return until he had performed the last act of the mission. And when he did return from a successful mission, he used to tell us that to report. Finished. And what are these saying? What do these meanings say to us? In eternity, the son gave the father a promissory note that he would pay the price for humans, humanity's redemption in Hebrews chapter 10. On Calvary, the note was paid in full. To tell us that the son reported his completed mission to the father. To tell us that. And perhaps when the waiting hosts in heaven heard of the completed work of Jesus, heaven rang with it to tell us time. And the Father smiled his approval. Oh, do you get it? Your ransom is paid. It's paid. Your ransom. He came to redeem you. There's nobody that is left out. Notice verse number 11. It says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Another great word. Just like I'm saying redeemed is a great word. All is a great word. It includes you. 
Nobody is left out. We, we see that word, that little word all sometimes in another verse. We use it all the time. Romans 3.23, there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. And there's a verse that reminds us we all need to be redeemed. Here we have a verse that tells us we all have been redeemed. All have sinned. But he has paid the ransom for all. And God is satisfied with that payment. Brother Ray this morning mentioned Isaiah. When it talked about the fact that he shall see the labor of his soul and should be satisfied. He's satisfied with the payment. So there's the purpose of the first advent. That he might redeem us. Hallelujah. Can we not say? Glory to God. Hallelujah that he might redeem us. And you might say, well, what does that mean to me? What, what must I then do? And, and there is but one thing for you to do. And let me let the hymn writer tell it to you. Because I can't put it any better than this. Listen to these words. Redemption, a wonderful story, glad message for you and for me that Jesus has purchased our pardon and paid all the debt on the tree. From death unto life he has brought us and made us by grace, sons of God. A fountain is open for sinners. Oh, wash and be cleansed in the blood. Accept now God's offer of mercy. To Jesus, oh, hasten today, for he will receive him that cometh and never will turn him away. Believe it, oh, sinner, believe it. Receive the glad message. Tis true. Trust now in the crucified Savior. Salvation, redemption, he offers to you. Well, the first advent was to redeem. Second point. The first advent was to enable us. Was to redeem us. Was also to enable us. You know, I've shared these truths with people when I've been witnessing to people about their soul. And uh, talk to him about this matter of redemption and salvation and all those kind of things. And sometimes the response will come back. You know, all that just sounds so good. That just sounds so good. And it sounds like something I'd like to do. But there's some things in my life that I have to get right first. You ever had somebody say that to you as you're witnessing to them? Or perhaps you thought it yourself. I need to get some things in my life right first and then I'll be able to trust Christ. But you know, that is exactly the opposite of what was accomplished on that first advent. And that's exactly the opposite of what we read here in our text. This tells us that he didn't come to redeem those who had cleaned up their lives. It says he came to clean up the lives of those he redeemed. Big difference. Big difference. He said once in Luke chapter 5, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now notice in verse number 12 that our text does say holy living and right living. That's an expectation of the Christian. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. But what it doesn't say is that we need to live holy and clean lives in order to be redeemed. It says we will live holy and clean lives because we are. So as he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, verse 14. He does the redeeming and he does the purifying. He's the one who cleans us up. He cleans up those whom he saves. He doesn't wait for people to do good works in order to save them. He makes them zealous for good works after he has saved them. And so this morning, if you haven't trusted Christ, and if you haven't been saved, if you're not yet redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you're uncertain of those things. You need to let nothing stop you. You need to trust him today. You need to accept the redemption that he offers today. You know, the devil will tell you that you need to clean some things up. The devil will tell you that you need to get some things right. Your human mind will tell you that you can't come to Christ with such dirty hands. But that's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. 
Don't listen to those things. When he came on that first advent, he came to redeem us, and then he came to enable us, to clean us up, and make us right with him. Number three. The first advent was to redeem us. The first advent was to enable us. And finally, number three, the first advent was to encourage us. As to be expected, the joke started pretty early on 12, 21, 12, did they not? When the Mayan calendar did not prove to be correct. Oh, how the lost world loves to poke fun. When somebody predicts the end of the world and it does not happen. And of course, we Christians knew that there was no validity to that Mayan calendar. We knew that was nonsense. But we also know that there is a far more reliable prophecy and a far more reliable prediction that has been made that Jesus is coming again, right? We don't only celebrate the first advent this time of year. We are reminded once again of the second advent that he is coming again. Because the Bible says it over and over and over again. It could happen at any moment and it will happen without warning. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. John chapter 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. John 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And then our text this morning, our text this morning is another one that talks about it. Verse number 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, depending on which translation of the Bible you're holding this morning, uh, that verse may, be, may, instead of saying looking for, it may say waiting for. Waiting for. Because it literally means to anticipate a future event. This is called Advent because we're waiting. We're waiting. They were waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. We're waiting for his return. And that's what it's all about. And we know, we who know the Messiah now, are waiting for him to come again. We are anticipating his imminent return. We are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing, which is another great word, by the way. Glorious appearing is the Greek word epiphania, from which we get our word epiphany. We are waiting for the epiphany of our Savior. We long for that second advent, don't we? In spite of the fact it's been over 2,000 years, Even though false prophet after false prophet after false prophet has come and gone along with their failed predictions. Even though each time something like the Mayan apocalypse nonsense captures the attention of the world and falls flat, it fuels the unbelief of the lost world. Even though we're surrounded by those who almost word for word fulfill Peter's prophecy in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he said scoffers would come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? In spite of all those things, he is coming. He is coming. There will be a second advent. It could be any moment. And you're all wishing right now it would happen before this sermon is over. I know. It could happen at any moment. And we wait for that return. And see, we're encouraged because of the first advent. That first advent encourages us about the second advent. We can trust that he will come the second time because he fulfilled his promise and came the first time. Do you remember when David fought Goliath? Little David went to Saul and said, I'll take on that guy. And Saul looked at him and said, what makes you think that a little pipsqueak like you could take on that giant? Remember what David said? David said, I was tending my sheep one day and a lion came along and attacked and God helped me to take out that lion. Then I was tending my sheep one day and a bear came along and attacked and God helped me 
take out that bear. He said, the same God that took care of that bear and took care of that lion will take care of Goliath. David said, I'm encouraged that God will take care of me this time because he took care of me those times. Listen, the fact that he came once helps us to know he's telling the truth about coming again. If he could do it once, he can do it again. If he did do it once, he will do it again. That first advent was to encourage us. Well, you could probably think of some things there. I've shared three things out of there, and there's probably more about the purpose of the advent. But in actuality, of the three things that I shared with you, there's really only one that's the true purpose, and that's the first point. He came to redeem. The others are sub-points. Purifying us to live holy and godly lives and encouraging us about his second coming. That's only possible because of the first. He came to redeem us. If you get that, you understand Advent. You understand Christmas. You understand the gospel. If you don't get that, you've missed the entire point. My favorite preacher of all time has to be Charles Spurgeon. You know that. So let me conclude this morning by just sharing a couple comments from him. Because he preached a message on this way back in the 1800s. And here's what he said. He said, Paul believed in a great redemption. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That word, redemption, sounds in my ears like a silver bell. We are ransomed, purchased back from slavery, and this at an immeasurable price. Not merely by the obedience of Christ, nor the suffering of Christ, nor even the death of Christ, but by Christ giving himself for us. All that there is in the great God and Savior was paid down that he might redeem us from all iniquity. The splendor of the gospel lies in the redeeming sacrifice of the Son of God, and we shall never fail to put this to the front in our preaching. It is the gem of all the gospel gems. As the moon is among the stars, so is this great doctrine among all the lesser lights which God has kindled to make glad the night of fallen man. Paul never hesitates. He has a divine Savior, and he has a divine redemption. It was the coming of that divine Savior with his divine redemption that is at the very heart of Advent. It's the purpose. It was the purpose of that first Advent. And so I ask this morning, have you received the redemption that is offered to you? And if you have not, will you do it today?